insane that they've come to this point. That Russell Martin was a starting shortstop. I'm going to do a whole piece on this because this is what I do when it comes to Marco Estrada. But you're going to be so sad when he retires. And Rob Manfred gave a full long interview and made sense. <laughs> Wait, did they replace him with somebody? And welcome to episode number 103 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we kindly ask that you raise your hand if you would rather have us cover the New Hampshire Fisher Cats every week. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I'm joined, as usual, by Josh Housem. Josh, how's it going? I'm good. And I'm thinking that people probably aren't going to want that because that would mean that Vlad Jr. was there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Not how y'all wanted it to go. Um, we are going to talk about May and all the different ways it was a bit of a disaster because it certainly, I think disaster month is absolutely qualifies. Um, the defense, uh, which you wanted to highlight, I'm sure that the starting pitching will come up uh, as it was a victim of the defense. We have Josh Donaldson, who is hurt again. We have Russell Martin, super utility man, who would be super if only, uh, I think it works more so if you can hit. Um, but maybe the Cavalry is coming. Maybe Grichuk and Diaz are coming back. Uh, maybe Kendris Morales is, is a league average hitter. Maybe Kevin Pilar is the guy you always thought he was. Uh, Sam Gaviglio, or Gaviglio, depending on who you talk to, uh, continues to surprise us by looking decent even against the powerhouse Red Sox. Marco Estrada has not surprised us this year. We're going to probably talk about Vlad Jr. because that's what we do around here. We have your questions, and Josh has a do-over, which I have not even listened to, and then he's he's going to walk me through the whole thing. So, shall we begin? Uh, May did not bring any flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know, flowers for their graves? <laughs> <laughs> if a team could bury itself before August, this May buried the Blue Jays in, in a way like last April buried the Blue Jays. Yeah. Uh, so the Blue Jays did not win two games in a row <laughs> at any point in the month of May. That stat right there, as much as there's a lot of other things you could look up, that right there says everything you need to know about May. Now, and per Gregor Chisholm, who tweeted this out, it's the first time this has happened, and it's only happened three times before, since 1979. So it happened in, this is in any month, by the way, not just May. It, ha it happened in July of the expansion year, September of the next year, and May of the year after that. These are seasons when they were losing 100 games. And, well, when you look at the winning percentage that you get, when you not only uh, don't win three uh, two games in a row but when you get swept by the red Sox, and uh was it this this month also they got swept at home by oakland right yep so when you add all that in and you're playing 300 and change baseball you know you keep this up you do lose 100 games yeah and uh so he he also went on to say he he was obviously in the same mode we are <laughs> <laughs> the 9 and 19 record is the fourth lowest winning percentage for the month of May in franchise history and the lowest since 1981, uh, which was the <laughs> the last 100 <laughs> lost season in their history, right? Well, no, they only, they only lost 69 because of the strike season, but it was, you know, it, it was the last year that they finished last in a row from their expansion. Um, so I, from what I've heard, again, I haven't been able to watch all these games. Long story. Um, I don't know if I would, even if I could have watched all these games, <laughs> <laughs> I'm that kind of fan sometimes. Um, but first of all, it's been sloppy. Uh, yeah. There has not... The only players on the team who are doing anything that is decent defensively are Justin Smoke, Luke Maley, and occasionally Kevin Pillar. And even then, Kevin Pillar is still prone to the, every now and then, like, ter terrible throw. Um, so Teoscar Hernandez, I have seen maligned a lot. Um, just for his combination of lack of mind and lack of effort at different times. Uh, it's a good thing he can hit home runs from the sounds of it. Otherwise, there would be a lot more said about Teoscar Hernandez's defense. Yeah. There, there's, I mean, there's a lot being said because he deserves it anyway. <laughs> you know, 
Curtis Granderson, some of his foibles, we've, you know, he hasn't had many, but we, you know, we alluded to his terrible throwing arm, which still persists. We had, you know, the, the rotating core of shortstops have been making gaffes, pretty much everybody who's played there. And, and it's just been bad after bad after bad. And, you know, when you have a pitching staff that is struggling, shall we say, <laughs> it's kind of imperative that your defense is there to help them out. And yeah, that has and, not been happening. No. And other than Jay Happ, who continues to strike out a whole lot of people and go deep into most of his starts, uh, deeper certainly on average than any other starter on the Blue Jays, I can tell you without even looking that up, because he knows what the yeah. seventh inning is. Um, other than Happ, uh, you had a lot of guys who've regressed to the worst things they've done in their career. Marco Estrada has become very hit prone and, uh, and homer prone. Uh, Aaron Sanchez has returned to his walking ways. Marcus Stroman is hurt again. Um, you know, these, these guys need a little slack and they don't, they're not getting any. Yeah. I mean, the Jays actually had a run of pitchers going into the sixth or seventh inning, the seventh inning, I think it was three starts in a row against the Phillies. But in general, as you, as you mentioned, like it's just, they're not getting any help. We we've talked about defensive efficiency on our extra pellets episodes when we were talking about defense and actually I might've been on one of the podcasts too. The blue Jays rank third last in all of baseball in balls and play, put it outs behind or head of, depending how you put it only the Padres and the Orioles. And of course the blue Jays are not a strikeout focused team. So like you right. said, becomes way more important if there's more balls in play you need to do something with them uh not throw them around uh so in all that the guy i didn't mention and i suppose we should highlight is the guy who did not play the last two days due to something he felt in his i'm sorry it's his leg i can't remember which part of his leg it's josh again his calf uh this guy has so many calf problems he could start a dairy farm oh god (laughs) But seriously, what what is Josh Donaldson was an elite defensive third baseman? What two years ago? Yeah, I'd say two years ago. Last year it slipped a little bit. Well, because he was injured with the similar kind of thing. But okay, so he he, he is just he's not making throws and he keeps getting hurt. What what is uh, designated hitter Josh Donaldson? Maybe the smart play at this point, and we'll get to why that is maybe later. I think the reason the answer to that is no is because even when he's not elite, he's still not a negative defender, which I think is important to mention. You know, defensive run saved has him at plus one, which would equate to a plus six on the season, which is quite solid. All right, fair. There's so much weakness to rest around the rest of the diamond. You still have to go with your best guys there. And, you know, Gio Rochella is a good defender at third, but he sucks. He's a terrible hitter. Um, so, which is why we're playing him at shortstop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we've talked about that last week and then we're going to get to it in a minute why it got even worse but it's uh you know I, I think Donaldson they have to as long as he's healthy he has to play third base just because the team needs every minor edge it can get and it would be nice if he was OPSing like a thousand like he was in his MP, MVP season but he's nowhere near that either um, no 757 yeah so I mean a guy who's sub 800 is is really not gonna hurt other teams uh, or force them to pitch around him nearly as much as you need him to let's go to the the big boogeyman in the whole thing we we talked about defense and i think it it crystallizes around the fact that russell martin started at shortstop and third base and left field while they were in boston yeah the shortstop one was actually in philly but sorry <laughs> or new york it was one of those ones it's insane that they're come to this point that that Russell Martin was a starting shortstop. You know what? He was actually fine there that day. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's great. (laughs) I'm so relieved. (laughs) But when you're at the point when you have your catcher playing shortstop, third base, left field, it really shows the dire straits that you're in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can have... Okay, first of all, I, I alluded to it off the top. You can have a super utility guy but he, first of all, he has to hit. He, he yeah, that's ha- my issue with the term for him. He's not a super utility. He's just utility right now. Yeah. Well, wh- why Why are you risking Russell Martin's health? Because you literally have nobody else who can do that? Because anytime you put him out there on a day off, 
I know it's not a day catching. I know I understand that they're not physically the same thing, but you put him in harm's way. And then what? If you do, let's say Luke Melee gets hurt behind the plate for that game, now you got to shuffle Martin around um, and something even weirder happens potentially because you may have already pinch hit for somebody. It just, it's a ridiculous situation to be in. It is. I mean, I think that's actually probably one they're not as worried about, though, because they have Danny Jansen who could come up if someone actually got injured. But you're right, in-game, it would be very weird. And, you know, the Boston one I got, at least. Like, they put him in left field only because they wanted as many right-handed bats in the lineup against David Price. Fine. I get that. I don't know why left field, but fine. <laughs> but the fact that he's been playing around the diamond to begin with while he's hitting 165 with a 298 on base percentage and a 315 slugging... That doesn't really sound like a guy whose bat you have to get into the lineup at whatever, you know, whatever means necessary, right? And and again, this was a guy who was supposed to be, you know, two on one off for most of the year because they were worried about about how he would take the wear and tear. Well, you play him six days in a row, three or four at catcher and two in the infield. I don't know how much of a break he feels like he's had at the end of all that. Yeah. And Sam, and I think you're right. I think that, that will wear him down a little bit. I, I almost wonder if... It's just a, a sense of the Jays saying what we're saying about the defense. It's like, you know what? Russ is probably better than that guy. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, all right. Well, we'll get to the good news, which is both Randall Grichuk and Aledmus Diaz are rehabbing in real games right now, as a matter of fact. Grichuk has homered in Buffalo, and uh, Diaz has recently, when I was looking at people who are, yes, literally people on my timeline are watching minor league games, um diaz initiated a double play in uh, new hampshire yeah this is really important <laughs> uh yeah because i mean diaz is a shortstop a it's real a, one yeah like that's his job <laughs> that's what he gets that's what's on the baseball card that's what i'm saying here yeah and you know he came into the season with a poor defensive reputation but he's been really solid as a blue jay shortstop yeah, I mean, it's like being graded on the curve a little bit, but also he's he's not oh, fine. He, he, <laughs> even by everybody's standards, he's been a plus defender at short or or average to plus, where as opposed to everybody else who has been not. Yeah, so you know, and, and I think um, if Teoscar Hernandez falters at all, you could definitely um, you know you could look at putting Grichik back in right field, which which helps Kevin Pilar out uh, on on the one side at the very least, you know. Uh, you know, yeah. eases up the pressure on him, and it's, and it would help a lot on those. Uh, especially, you know, he'll, I, when he comes back, I assume at first he'll mix in a bit with Kendry, so we're going to get to, and mix in a bit with the platoon with Granderson. On those days when Granderson is down, you can put Teoscar in left field where he doesn't do as much damage. Because yeah. if you muff up a ball a little bit in left, you, you the guy's still not getting to third base because you're so close to third. If you do it in right field, it's a triple. Yep. So that, that all, it, it does elevate the, the Blue Jays' uh, you know, status, their overall sort of average ranking here, if these guys get back and they stay healthy. And I don't think Grichuk is going to be as bad as he was. He's certainly going to get his, a few games to rehab and, and get in the groove. And I think John Gibbons is going to try and play him. Again, because he's seen how the defense has gone now that, that Hernandez has, has been exposed as a weak defender probably weaker than we thought he was considering his range yeah it's actually that's of all the things that have gone on this season i think that's the most baffling because when he came up the reputation on tasker hernandez was lots of swing and miss good speed good power can play all three outfield positions probably don't want him in center too much we've seen the power we've seen some of the speed and none of the defense yeah and a lot less of the swing and miss than we were anticipating is is obviously it's a a weirdly inaccurate scouting report yeah, and I wonder how much of that is, I don't know, just trying to adjust so much at the hitting that he's not working on his fielding as much or it's taking too much of his concentration away. I, I don't want to speculate on that because that's going down a rabbit hole that we should never go down. But, but we know the fact is he's been bad. Yeah, yeah, it, and it ain't pretty. Um, so Grichik would be nice. <laughs> so Kendris Morales is 
as we discussed in, I believe, last week's podcast, inching back towards league average. Now, I know you don't want your everyday DH to be league average, but you certainly don't want him to be 25% worse than league average, which is where he's sitting right at the moment. So it's good to see that he is making some contact with some power. Yeah, it's definitely a good thing. And we talked about this also on the last podcast, you know, how he was, was so bad because his numbers were just in the absolute tank. I think it was when we were talking about this with Nick and I essentially said it's like he's he's got to get a little bit better right and he is I mean he's now up to a 619 OPS which sounds terrible but when you say hey he was at like 510 before this it's better <laughs> you, can, you can see we're headed towards respectability <laughs> yeah he, he was down to 499 after the first game of the Oakland series yeah so he's and, he's he's trying yeah, I mean, it's up to 671 actually now. Oh, no, 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 sorry, 618. Yeah. So yeah. he's gone up 200 and, or 119 points in those in the last week and a half. And, you know, he's going to do it. He's going to have hot and cold streaks. But he should end up somewhere, like you said, around league average, which is, considering the rest of this offense, at least acceptable. Yeah, a lot of considerings in our podcast this week. Uh, the other guy we wanted to talk about offensively, of course, was Kevin Pillar, who like you have been saying for three weeks and i just want to give you props um nothing fundamentally changed about how pilar was approaching his at bats and in the end nothing has changed about how pilar gets results which is in fits and starts yeah and this this is fits (laughs) yeah (laughs) this is not not good and you know that this is again like you said this is what kevin pilar is and what we should just accept the power is a little better, even in his poor days. He's hitting a lot more doubles. I think he's on pace for 58 doubles or something stupid. But obviously, that's driven mostly by his hot start to the season. But he's still, you know, he's not going to walk much, and he's going to strike out a little bit, and he's going to have a low batting average in long, you know, six-week spurts. It just, you know, it's going to drive people crazy. That's unfortunate because it was – Hopeful last year around this time, but it looked like he was maybe turning a corner because he talked about it. You know, he he was starting walking more. He was showing a little bit of change, and then he just reverted back. It has been exactly that since. And and it, for Kevin Pillar, it's obviously very very hard to change what he's doing. Uh, you know, and and trust a different process. I mean, he has been in the major leagues. This is year six, is it not? Because we're he's talking Five, about. I believe year five but he's, he's talking about approaching free agency um yeah i, I mean it, it he's in a tough spot if, if he thought he could he could guarantee that he was going to do better by doing something different i'm sure he would be doing it at this point because there's a payday waiting for him if he can if he can prove that he can do it right you know and, and as i mentioned like the, the the hard you know the power numbers essentially you know it's hard to say power it's not home runs but the doubles you know he's got a 444 sluggy percentage if he can keep everything else the way this it has been but just raise that slugging percentage by 30 points or so by the end of the season that makes him a far more useful player given that he is a good defender in the outfield he's slept he's not what he was he's only about slightly better than league average or around league average right now but he's shown the capability to play a good center field and if you combine that with a guy who's a better than league average bat that's still a good player but right now he's not that so i will move it along to the the two starters who are polar opposites at the moment. One is, and I honestly had never heard of Sam Gaviglio in my life until he got called up. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure he didn't make anybody's top 20 prospects list that, that I saw last year. Uh, he has, uh, he has done a fine job every time he has been asked to do his job even now against the Boston Red Sox. He, he, he's not perfect, but he, he certainly has been getting a, a lot more outs than one might expect. Yeah, I mean, he, he took the loss in today's game against the Red Sox. We're recording this on Wednesday, but he went seven, he went six, gave up four runs, two, two of the more home runs, including the absolute monster one from J.D. Martinez, who can hit anybody right now. But the biggest thing I've noticed with Gabilio, he gets a lot of ground balls, and he doesn't walk people. So he's given up four home runs in his last two games, which obviously isn't great. But if you're not putting people on ahead of that, and we talked about this way back with the Blue Jays relievers, it's okay. 
especially in this current environment where more hits are home runs than ever. It's not actually that much of an outlier to be giving up more home runs than you might historically think were were bad. It's just like it's not as a batter bad to be striking out more. This is just the way the game has gone. So, yeah, the ball leaves the yard a lot. Have only one guy come around the bases and you're doing okay. Right, exactly. Marco Estrada is the other guy on the opposite end of that spectrum. He can't get anything right. No. Uh, things are not going well for Estrada. And then that's, <laughs> that's a bit of an understatement, I suppose. In his last three starts, actually, the one, two, three starts ago against Oakland, he won six and two thirds, gave up three runs. That was a good start. But then the last two starts, he's given up four runs each and not made it out of the fifth inning. The biggest difference between this Marco Estrada and the good Marco Estrada is he's giving up a lot of hits, which his hit suppression, he led the league in, in a good way in hits per nines in 2015 and 2016. That was his thing. His, his thing was you can put it in play, but I, again, you're going to get underneath it and you're going to be deceived by the mix of, like you've always told us, the rising fastball and the changeup. Um, and you're not going to be able to square it up. And there is simply not enough deception left in whatever Marco Estrada is doing. I don't know if it's, well, like you said, the, the pitches have changed in nature. I don't know if his control is what it's been the past couple of years either. Well, I think it's a combination of those two things, actually. So he's actually getting more ground balls than he usually does this year. But one of the big things that made Marco special, like you mentioned, is his rising fastball. Obviously, as we've said, number of times doesn't actually rise. It just fights gravity at a different rate. He's down an inch pr- from last year. And he's at the lowest level he's had since 2014. On its own, that would be worrisome. It would still be an, you know, an elite rise. It'd still be as good as anybody, I think, except Clayton Kershaw in baseball. But the difference now is that the four-seamer up in the zone is the common mode of attack for, for pitchers. So you get a lot of these guys throwing these backspin four-seamers. So he's come closer to the pack than just his own personal drop would suggest because everybody else has gone up. So he's not fooling hitters with that fastball anymore. And we've seen the unfortunate result of not fooling anybody. And the runs tend to come early and often. Um, he hasn't really had that, you know, that, that uh, wriggle off the hook sort of luck either. No. And part of that too is lack of location, as you mentioned. His changeup He's just not getting it down and out of the zone in those key spots. He gets the two strikes and a guy, you know, throw a changeup and it'll end up at the knees and the guy will slash it through the hole for a hit as opposed to swinging over top of it. Or it'll be ignored and he will have to come back with the fastball, which is what happened against the Red Sox a couple times last night. And mm-hmm. 89 down the middle <clears throat> against that team is a negative outcome. So what is what you does what does Marco Estrada do? I don't know that there's an answer to that. I, I think that it's one of those things where you have to pitch yourself out of it. I the funny thing is, so I look at you know his I'm gonna do a whole piece on this because it's what I do when it comes to Marco Estrada, but <laughs> you're gonna be so sad when he retires. You're gonna be like uh I don't know. If I have to write about how he's pitching right now, I think I'll be pretty happy not not to do that anymore. But <laughs> The thing is that this rise issue on the fastball, there's no reason for it. And, you know, his, his spin rate is within the, the margin of error from before. His release point is the same. So it might just be a, a sample size noise data that if it is the case, then it could rebound back up and that could help him you know, get, get a few more outs, get a few more of those infield pop-ups that we haven't been seeing. And then from there, he could just sort of pitch his way out of it and find his control again. If not, I, I don't know that there's much he can do. That's a very unhappy thought. Should I move on to slightly happier thoughts? Well, it's not. It's, it's a potentially unhappy shot. It's not necessarily. <laughs> the, the fact that it could be just noise in the data is at least somewhat encouraging. But yes, let's move on. All right. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Which cherry Very picked, unhappy thoughts. Which cherry-picked <laughs> stat would you like? Uh, to to regale me with about y- your favorite Vladimir Guerrero Jr. <laughs> Whoa, geez, which one, huh? <laughs> Put me on the spot there. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, now, this is something nobody wants because 
you know, we don't want him to stay down there all year. But nope. this is from from Kyle Matt, who writes for Baseball Perspectives Toronto. If he kept up his current pace, he would finish the season with a 424 average, 474 on base, and a 716 slugging. Now that's 142 game pace, 236 hits, <laughs> 396 total bases. 54 doubles, three triples, 33 home runs, 160 RBI, 130 runs, and only 63 strikeouts. <laughs> so you, probably, and I mean, this is just me going out on a limb, regardless of the major league call-up, he probably doesn't get to the end of the season in double-A. <laughs> no, I think it's a safe bet that he won't. And just because I have to mention it, Kyle went on. That would be the, the record for the Eastern League by batting average by 26 points, <laughs> 22 for hits, total bases 41, and RBIs for 22. So I think even if he doesn't play the full season, he'll set the league record for batting average. I think it will be interesting uh, because this has happened a couple of other times, and I, I can't remember who I was watching. But, uh, well, I remember it in a negative way. I remember Kyle Drabeck was walking the planet. And Drayback ended up getting demoted or, or traded, whatever. He was no longer on the roster. And it took weeks and weeks for the MLB walks leader to catch up to Kyle Drayback. That's the bad kind? Yeah. So the good kind is the reverse where he, uh, he has 50 RBI as an example. Not that RBI is our favorite stat around here. But how long does it take after Vlad leaves the league for the, for the league leader to catch up to him in RBI? Is it like middle of july before somebody gets there <laughs> that's when you know you've, you've lapped the whole field um here's one of my fun ones vlad jr yesterday uh, yeah i don't think they played today he went one for five with a home run and three rbis he hit a home run and his ops went down yeah he's actually over three <laughs> right now tonight oh He's Believe slumping. it or not, he is. Um, oops, and I have refreshed to the wrong screen. Yeah, he's over three. He he he's taken five overs all year. Yeah, and some of those are over twos because he walks a lot. Well, he doesn't walk a lot, but he walks as much as he strikes out, which is really all you need in the modern day and age because nobody does that anymore. Yeah, he walks more than he strikes out actually, but yeah, so. He's really, really good. <laughs> um, and actually, no, that's not true. He strike up more than walking. Now I lied. Slightly, just yeah. slightly. Uh, he is a phenomenon, and there is a lot of this back and forth about what do the Blue Jays do with this phenomenon. And I am at the point of uh, why not? If you think he can help you at all before this team's fortunes are completely blown apart, um, if you're going to put Josh Donaldson on the DL, why not? Call him up, see what happens. Well, I think that the big answer to that is that the team, the brass probably realizes that the odds of making the postseason right now are not very good. And they don't want to mess up and have him go in there and suddenly he's a super two player in two years and, and he's making an extra nine million dollars and it just kills them like here's the way i think of this right now right people complain about the dead money with troy Tulowitzki's contract if he was making half of that people would still complain because he's not playing that's essentially what you would be taking on by bringing up Vlad Guerrero jr right now so unless you make the playoffs, that's what you're losing. You're losing about 10 million bucks on, on ability to spend on other players. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> no, but you would care. That's the thing. People, people hate this Tulo thing. Oh, all this wasted money on Tulo and Martin and Morales. Morales is perfect. 11 million bucks wasted. They could have used it in some else. That's exactly what you're talking about. Wasting 11 million dollars. And if you don't think that you're going to make the postseason with or without Vlad, you should not bring Vlad up now. You should wait a month or so and do it. So you are still in favor of him coming up this season? Sure. I, I don't think you – look, they could get an extra year of control of Vlad if they keep him down to two weeks into next year. I don't want that. I don't think anybody wants that. Worry about 2026 down the road. <laughs> so it's just the Super 2 deadline you're worried about. That's fair. So did you yeah. see Vlad Guerrero Sr.'s tweet the other day? No, I didn't. Three words. June is coming. Oh, yeah, I did see that one. <laughs> 
So um, that is probably actually an allusion to that Super 2 deadline. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I think it's toward the end of the month now because they changed it in the last CBA, but it's somewhere in June or they've, uh, like if you call someone on July 1st, hey, welcome, happy Canada, Dave Vlad Jr. That'd be great. Um, then you're guaranteed that he's not going to be that. Now, obviously, there's chances he could not be that anyway if you send him down and it's a moving deadline. But mid mid June to late June is probably what we're going to be seeing. I mean, all this talk about the defense, I think, is real. But I, they, they can't keep him down all year. They just can't. No, because he is literally destroying the league that he's in. And there's no <laughs> sign that he's going to stop doing that. Um, there's an article on Sportsnet now that talks about his two slumps and, and neither of them are as long as 40 plate appearances in his entire MLB uh, minor league career. (laughs) All righty. Now that we've gotten the tastiest tidbits out of the way, we are going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with our favorite part of the show. Your questions. And we have returned, and in our return, we are eager. Nay, we cannot wait to answer your questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? And we have many of them. Uh, we looked over these, and Josh doesn't think there's a lot of happy questions. I don't blame you, folks. But we, we shall approach them with caution. Brian A., who I will not insult, because I, I said I would stop insulting him last week. And he did pay for insults, though. But uh, thank you once again, Brian, for your patronage. <laughs> you are, he asks us, you are both tasked to reorganize the divisions. Who do you move from the AL to the NL, or vice versa? And who is in the Blue Jays division? Josh. Well, I'm not going to go to like the whole league because there's a few things you could move back and forth. But I think the easiest one is to have the AL East match the AL West in the sense that the teams that are farthest away from everybody else, there's two of them in the division. So you have Houston and Texas in one division because they're nowhere near the other West teams. And then you have Miami and Tampa in the same division in the AL East. And... I don't, you know, Jays are going to stay in the AL, so send Boston over to the NL so they can match up with Philly, Patriots, games, and all that. And that gets Boston and New York out of the same division because they should never be in the same division. Wow. Uh, I'm going to take the... Or just send the Jays to the NL East because, if, you know, the league will demand Boston and Yankees games. They won't care about the Blue Jays. Okay, so my thing would be uh, we go back to a two-division format in each league, not a three-division format. Uh, and you just let the top two teams in each division advance. Forget this whole... And the Jays never made the postseason again. (laughs) Also, uh, you bring Detroit back into the East, obviously, and keep shuffling around until it actually makes sense. Yes, it's possible Jays never make... Except my curveball. You balance the freaking schedule. Interleague's gone. You play the same number of games against everybody. Nobody cares about divisions. Yeah, I think mine is a little more. If, if anything was going to happen, I think mine would be the more likely one, but I don't think either of them could happen. No, but balance the schedule a yeah. little Mark bit. Rob Manfred actually discussed that with uh, Ken Rosenthal today. And Rob Manfred gave a full, long interview and made sense. <laughs> Wait, did they replace him with somebody? Yeah, well, we don't actually have audio, so we don't know for sure that these were real answers. It could have been like Brian Colangelo, fake person, but... You never know. No, but he was basically saying <clears throat> that all this stuff about pace of play and and you no know, banning shifting and relief pitching. It's like it's like there are other things that like you know there's reasons to before and against and whatever. And we haven't really decided on anything. He doesn't want to say what they're going to do, but he understands the backs and forth. And wow, like he's never said anything like that before. It's always been so hard. Pace of play, pace of play, pace of play. He even called that the low hanging fruit. Wow. Apparently, yeah. Maybe Rob Manfred doesn't hate baseball. We'll need a new tagline for him. Yeah, we could have done even a gold star for him, but we can't give him a gold star. I mean, come on. No. He has to <laughs> dig his way out of the hole he's got from all the do-overs. Uh, okay. And he even addressed the concept of the, the schedule. And he, he basically said it's like it's not a bad idea to have balanced schedule. It might be a bit tougher. And also there's people who would be against it for financial reasons. But it's something to look at, which they haven't said that in ages. My goodness. 
Well, let's not get too excited. Let's just you give no, me another question. it's not happening. So yeah, no gold star. <laughs> What's next? From Dave Church, who has more major league AVs this year, Tulo or Vlad? This is a trick question. They both have zero, so the answer is the same number. <laughs> and everybody <laughs> cried. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean not like you mean eventually? I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah, who will have more, Greg? Oh, How do we rephrase it? Sorry, um, <laughs> Tulo, I think. I think so. I don't know. I mean, I think they'll both. The thing is, if Vlad comes up in mid June, I think it's Vlad because Vlad will play every day, and Tulo will play most every day. Mm. I mean every day that he's healthy even if he is healthy he won't play every day right but if Tulo is he's basically he's on track he could be back in a couple weeks if he comes up two weeks ahead of Vlad I think it's Tulo fair enough Sam Dowdle at Sam Dowdle asks Hanley (laughs) well he used to be a a shortstop oh my goodness no (laughs) (laughs) could you imagine oh god (laughs) (laughs) why why didn't we just hire a tree trunk? <laughs> yeah. We so, stapled a glove to this tree trunk, and it still had a better def- defensive efficiency than Hanley Ramirez at short. <laughs> yeah, because it knocked a few balls that ricocheted them to first base. So here's the thing about Hanley. He had an awesome April. He mashed in April, and then he sucked in May, so he was like the Blue Jays. But he can play first base in DH. And... The Blue Jays don't need players at those spots. The first base, you know, are supplanting smoke. And DH will eventually be probably Teoscar Hernandez. So, thanks, Hanley, but we'll pass. Next. Yeah, there's just no room. From Ballher, lovely team. This was in response to the Turf Pod question. If you want to join in the discussion about this lovely team. I don't know. There's, there's lovely aspects to the team. Certainly, there don't appear to be anybody... Uh particularly offensive on the team. Curtis Granderson has a lovely personality. Uh, the uniforms still and they look, look sharp. great in those uniforms. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, what's not to love? I can love them without actually liking them, right? Yeah. Unconditional okay. love. All right. Um, Brian asks a different question. You can make three changes to this roster to make the team better. What do you do? They have to be believable changes. No Morales for Trout straight swaps or something dumb like that. Now, this Uh, is just to make the team better. It doesn't, I don't think we have to worry about long-term implications. Yeah, so obviously one is bring up Vlad. Like, (laughs) that's, and uh, I think the next one is probably even right now, bring up Bo Bichette. Because they don't have a shortstop, but Diaz is coming back, so we'll get rid of that one. Uh, bring up Vlad. That's the one. So he's going to play DH. Uh, there's nothing you can do with Teoscar Hernandez. Maybe give uh, Brucky a couple starts? That, that's a possibility. I think, um, I think call up Danny Jansen might be the third one. Yeah, that's the next one. And Martin can be an actual utility player. <laughs> as absurd as that might end up being. In no, many, many and honestly, Luke Maley has been terrible for the last little bit offensively. So if he's reverting back to what he was before, then Danny Jensen coming up is the definite answer. All right. Next. From Brett Hibbard at Hibbity Bibbard. Again, I'm going to stop you on that. And that is an awesome Twitter handle. I'm... I knew you were going to do that. I wasn't even talking. I was I just going to wait. <laughs> <laughs> if Donaldson keeps looking old and busted, what is he even worth in a trade? Who is going to give anything of value in exchange for so much risk, especially in the current market? Well, Hibbity, um, <laughs> I, I think that's a fair question. I think by the time Donaldson is traded, no, nobody is trading Josh Donaldson uh, before, I think, the all-star break sort of zone. Because we've we found out over the past three or four years that even in a division that doesn't look close, a lot can happen between all-star break and end of season. It's just there's too many moving parts to tell unless you're the Orioles. Um, <laughs> so I would say that by that point, yeah, you might have a Josh Donaldson who is at the, the valley of his, uh, of his tradeability, but you also might not. You might have a guy who's OPSing 850 to 900 and is recovered from his calf injury, and then you still have an asset that you're going to get something for. But, I mean, you're, you're not getting 
a, a, a number one prospect from anybody for Josh Donaldson. He's a rental player. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, it hurts a bit more that he's a position player specifically. I mean, if you look at the history of recent trades, there have been some rental players who have gotten huge returns. You know, the Jays give up a lot for price. Chapman got Gliber Torres back to the Yankees. It does happen. But really, for position players, it's a lot tougher because the market is a lot smaller. Everybody can use a pitcher. Not everybody can use a third baseman. But uh, I don't know. I think that the interesting thing here, like say he doesn't get back to Donaldson, right? Even if he's just a good player, I could see the Jays holding on to him because they were not get a return that's better than the pick that they would get for a qualifying offer. Hmm. The the good old screw him over later with the qualifying offer. No, I mean, <laughs> take advantage of the qualifying offer that's available to you. And lastly, we have a question from Volukamir Guerrero Jr. at Split Letters. So, assuming nothing changes and the team sucks to the point of them blowing it all up, read trade everything that's not nailed down, etc., etc., um, how soon do you think we'd hit competitive again? 2020, earlier, longer than that? Do you remember why, or do you realize now why I thought these questions were not very happy? <laughs> well, we've already blown up the team, traded Donaldson, made three changes to the roster, realigned the divisions, and speculated that Tulo might have less at-bats than our rookie phenom. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> so... I mean, I, the, the question this thing's asking, trading everything that's not nailed down, like that includes Sanchez and Stroman and, you know, guys that are coming back. I think that those are the guys you don't trade, especially considering the way they're playing right now. And Osuna, who knows what's happening with that situation. But, you know, it's said they trade Smoke and Donaldson, Hap, Estrada, Pierce, all the free agents. I think 2020 is still when they're back at competitive because they have a bunch of major league ready or ready-ish players that can be quite good by 2020 and we're making nothing so they can supplant the roster with talent. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're exactly right. There, there are, um, there are even guys to potentially supplant the Devin Travis's of the world. And, and uh, you know, obviously the, the Danny Jansen, we talked about all those kinds of guys, they're not going to be a real strain on your pocketbook for another three or four years. So you could definitely roll the dice on 2020. I don't think there's any reason you can't. And, you know, just while we're talking about the, the pocketbook aspect of things, you know, Russell Martin, his contract will be up, right? Yep. And Troy Lewiski's will be ending. And you, so you say you're the Toronto Blue Jays, right? You have Troy Lewiski, who's going to make, I think it's $14 million in the year 2020 with a $4 million buyout for the following year. It's called 18 million bucks. That's your only current commitment for that year. You can, sign a guy for and just backdated by a year to compensate for that money it, it's not actually going to limit you in any real way yeah it's it is it is pretty wide open and pretty wide open with young talented players is generally how things start opening a competitive window so i think 2020 is perfectly reasonable 2019 is going to be a bit of a mess yeah but it might be at least an entertaining mess because we'll have a guy like vlad in the middle of the lineup exactly so you had a do-over. Let's see yeah. how long it takes my do-over sound effect to show up. What did you say? Oh, my God. Did he really just say that? But we can try again, right? You talking about a do-over, baby? Are you talking about a do-over? Let's do this! All right. So we will begin it. Do you want to tee this audio up, or shall I just play? It says, I presume this is Joe Madden that we are about it's to not- hear. It's actually not Joe Madden. It's no. about Joe Madden. It's about Joe yeah. Madden. So regarding yeah, this is Joe- Greg Brown, the Pirates play-by-play man, the ga- game after Anthony Rizzo took out Elias Diaz with a slide, which I'm sure all of you have seen. It was some considered dirty, some not, but he took him out and he hurt him. So Joe Madden's player hurt a Pirates catcher. And, and then, so this is Brown, the play-by-play man for the Pirates, talking about the various reactions of both Madden and Clint Hurdle, the Pirates coach. Here we go. Clint Hurdle basically said no. Uh, he played it perfectly. I think the uh, direct quote was, there is nothing he could have done differently, according to, again, Clint Hurdle. Madden said, you have to teach proper technique. He has to get out further. For instance, the catcher could have dug a trench and positioned himself inside to further defend his position. 
dug a trench. <laughs> yeah. So Joe Madden never said that. What? <laughs> this is why it's funny. So J- Jesse Rogers, uh, who's the Cubs ESPN guy, tweeted out her, uh, Madden's comment. You have to teach proper technique. He has to get out further, which was read aloud. And then Tom Fornelli tweeted out extremely sarcastically, Madden continued, for instance, the catcher <laughs> could have dug a trench and positioned himself inside to further defend his position, which very clearly not real. <laughs> and the announcer read that on the air as though it was an actual quote. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I think he gets a do-over. I... <laughs> I... <coughs> Certainly, you'd want another opportunity to completely misunderstand who was quoting what and who was making a joke and everything else about that statement. Though, I, mean, go ahead, sorry. I am picturing someone with, with, his, with his spikes desperately trying to do trenches. The ball is on the way in. Well, that's what makes this so funny. It'd be one thing if, you know, he does this little analysis. He talks about, you know, what was said and, and, all, and all of that, right? And then if Greg Brown had said, and obviously like that's all, you know, like that's ridiculous. Of course, no one's ever going to dig a trench. Madden was just being, was probably going off the cuff. If he analyzed how nonsensical that was, but he didn't, he just continued with the idea of the slide. Wow. All right. So, uh, we're inviting Mr. Brown on to, uh, have a do-over. Yeah. Your do-over, Greg Brown, is when quoting someone, (laughs) make sure that they actually said what you're saying they said. And Check was, your sources. Yeah, a response to an initial quote is not necessarily a continuation of the actual quote, as it turns out. Yeah. Wow, that's hilarious. All right. So um, I'm going to give you the opportunity opportunity to make a final thought, and then I'm going to give you a hard time. Like, oh. <laughs> you'll survive. Don't worry. So my actual, this isn't my final thought. I have to read the first reply to that, the joke tweet. Why is nobody asking Diaz why he didn't levitate? David Blaine could have done it. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that that was one of the replies should have tipped the guy off. But uh, final thought, you know, it's at its worst right now. And it's kind of, you know, we're all sort of jumping off this cliff a little bit. But they're now going into Detroit. And Detroit sucks. Like Detroit, the Jays are better than the Tigers, which... You know, it's hard to say that about pretty much, I don't know, anybody other than the Orioles and the and the Royals right now. Right. And, and so, like, they have a chance to win a few games here. And then they only have a two-gamer against the Yankees and then four against the Orioles before three against Tampa. They could actually go on a stretch that could get them back to respectability a bit, especially with the reinforcements of Diaz and Gritschek. So it could be a little better next time we do one of these. All they need is clean defense and a little bit of starting pitching. Yeah. And bad opponents. <laughs> All right. So hard time comes in the form of a trivia question, which I, I'm expecting you to have a fairly easy time with, at least part one. Um, can you name Josh? Oh, mm-hmm. ye of much useless baseball knowledge. Can you name all of the Blue Jays to ever win the individual season awards, the MVP, the Cy Young, the Rookie of the Year awards? All of the Blue Jays to win the awards? Yeah. So MVP. Okay, if MVP is Bell and Donaldson. Right. Cy Young. Cy Young is uh, Hentgen, Clemens, Clemens, Halliday. Clemens, Clemens, Halliday. That's I think it. that's it. You don't have to rack yeah. your brain. Yeah. 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 Rookie yeah. of the year. Oh, that one's a little tougher. Uh, Alfredo Griffin. Yep. Uh, Eric Hinsky. Yep. That's it. it? Those are all the individual awards. So now I'm going to ask you the really, really tough one. Can you name, and you don't have to tell me how many times, can you name every Blue Jay to ever win a gold glove? Oh, my God. (laughs) Pitcher. I'll I'll, I'll tell you the ones where nobody ever won a gold glove when when we get to the position. So pitchers to win a gold glove who were Blue Jays. Okay. uh, So it was done by Marcus Stroman? Yes, 2017. And R.A. Dickey. Right. Those are the only two. Yes, I knew that one. No catchers have ever. No first baseman have ever. Second baseman. Okay, so Alomar definitely won a whole whack of them. Yep, he won five in a row. Did Hudson ever win one? He won one, yes. Ten yeah. years after Ruru Alomar did. All right, now shortstop. Fernandez? Yes. 
four of them in a row. Uh, third baseman. Kelly Gruber? Yep. And outfield. Okay, outfield. So Vernon Wells is 1-1. One, one. He's 1-3. One, Did you know Yeah, him? I mean, he's 1. Yes, he uh, one. Devon White? Yes. I'm guessing Jesse Barfield? Twice. And one did uh, Mosby ever win one? No. Uh, this guy won one probably because he hit a lot of home runs, not because he was a fantastic outfielder. Not that he was a bad outfielder, but I, I have a feeling this was in the era of 1-1 one, one with a bat. Very good player. Mm. All-star, absolutely. George Bell? <laughs> 1999. 1999. Oh, Sean Green. Yes. All right, folks. So you have heard, uh, with no advance notice... Josh, rhyme all that stuff off. We, a long time ago, used to play a game called Stump the Josh. If you have an interesting trivia question, I'm on Twitter at Coolhead2010. DM me on Twitter. I'll follow you, or message me on Twitter. I will follow you back and send me a trivia question about the Blue Jays or a former Blue Jay player with a couple of hints, and we'll see if we can actually stump Josh, because it should be possible, although I'm beginning to think that maybe it's not actually as possible as i've dreamed <laughs> you didn't even play the sound effect no because no, you, you were just did a little teaser yeah i'm just i'm just just reintroducing this concept i know we have a lot of people who are uh, very into the game go digging folks josh remembers the weirdest things <laughs> that'll pass for my final thought um i would encourage anyone who enjoys the show to slide on by www.patreon.com slash turf and you can see how close we are to uh, our next reward for a bunch of people or the individual rewards. Um, one of which is to get insulted heartily. But I would think you'd have to be pretty crazy to do that. Uh, yeah, thanks. there's much more attainable ones. <laughs> yes, that's the top <laughs> of the top. Come, <laughs> yeah, you can come on the air and play a game with us. We've done that with a couple of people. Played the swing and a drive, which will come back soon. And you could try to stop me like Colleen did. But uh, And then there's other things you can get a. Uh, subscription to baseball respect us and if you go real crazy well, i'll take you to a jays game in good seats amazing so that said uh you have been josh Housem at joshua Housem, and i have been greg wisniewski at the previously mentioned coolhead 2010 and this has been artificial turf wars episode number 103 and we'll talk to you next week